Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. Every week, I speak with women changemakers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandysfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, my guest is Heather Marshall, a Canadian author who has just published her debut novel called Looking for Jane. It's a historical novel set between 1960s and present-day Toronto that follows a group of inspiring women who dare to fight for their own rights, united by an underground abortion network known only by its codename, Jane. Heather holds a master's degree in Canadian history and political science, and she's worked in politics and communications before transitioning full-time to her true passion, storytelling. At a time where women's rights are still under attack, I'm excited to see untold until now women's stories that have shaped history. Here is my conversation with Heather. Heather, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time to speak with me. Thank you for having me. I always start these conversations by uh, rewinding time, uh, going back to uh, earlier days in, in your life. So I want to ask you, as a young girl, what were you dreaming of doing later in life? What kind of career were you imagining for yourself? And did it have anything to do with writing, being an author, or was it something completely different? Actually, yeah. As a kid, uh, all I did was write. I wrote, I wrote and wrote when I was a kid. And uh, I think as I sort of progressed through school, I still loved loved writing, loved reading. I uh, was a big consumer of, of literature generally. They were always my favorite classes. And then I went to university. And as much as that sort of broadens your horizons in some ways, I also was sort of my own worst critic and my own naysayer in terms of actually pursuing writing as a career. So I think I, in some ways, sort of held myself back for a little bit there um, in my in my earlier years, but uh, finally figured it out <laughs> after a few years of uh, of school and work and and so forth. And now here I am, wrote the book, and here we are. But yeah, I always wanted to be a writer, definitely. And uh, tell me a bit about kind of your first, you know, taking those first steps to become a writer what did that look like did you you know submit stories like what how, how did that come about for you yeah it wasn't anything particularly uh planned to to be honest with you I uh sort of came up with the idea for looking for Jane and just ran with it quite frankly um I had actually written a, a previous manuscript that I call sort of now my practice novel Uh, had nothing to do with this. It was another historical fiction. And uh, that one will probably never see the light of day. And that's an, that's okay. That's a good thing. You sort of, uh, you know, you learn a lot before you, before you craft the thing that's actually going to go to production. But um, so I had this practice novel. And uh, in the context of that, I'd attended various sort of, you know, community writers workshops, that kind of thing, trying to learn as much as I could about how to be a better writer and about the publishing process. And at one point, I sort of entertained the idea of maybe self-publishing. So I looked into that for a while. And that all happened prior to the idea 
for looking for Jane, even dropping into my head. So the the gears were sort of turning. And then once I came up with this idea, I became a lot more serious about my writing because I thought, you know what, I think I think I might actually really have something here that's going to resonate with people and might have a chance of getting published. So then I sort of uh, upped my game a bit on my uh, on my self-education about writing. And I just wrote the book, uh, pitched it as soon as it was ready and uh, got an agent representing me within days, which was very exciting. And uh, then we got our book deals. So that was about a year and a half ago now that we actually signed the deals. So mm. it's been it's been a long road, but uh, we're nearly there. It's about a week and a half away now. And that's so exciting. And congratulations on on getting the book, you know, picked up and and uh, getting it published. Thank you. Um, so let's dive in and talk about mm. looking for Jane. Uh, where did the inspiration come from? And obviously, I will let you kind of talk about the main storyline. But mm-hmm. um, where where did the idea come from for you? So when I was doing my history master's degree at the University of Waterloo, I did a paper on sort of the the legal processes and the court challenges that uh, mostly Henry Morgenthaler undertook in the 80s leading up to legalization in 1988. And at the time, again, kind of in the back of my head, I thought I might want to write something at some point, but I thought someone should write this. This This is really compelling and I've never seen this fictionalized in any way. And that was years and years ago. And the thought kind of fell out of my head. And then in, uh, I guess it was around the fall of 2018, I just sort of went down a bit of a research rabbit hole and stumbled across an article in the National Post on the post-war maternity home uh, system. And again, thought, oh my gosh, this sort of writes itself. And first of all, how have I never heard of this before? I'd sort of heard about the maternity homes in a very tertiary sort of way and never really thought much about what that actually meant and that there were real women, girls, who attended Mm -hmm. these and were deeply traumatized by their time there. So I had sort of started picking away at outlines for two separate books on these two separate topics and then Mm. was having trouble sort of, yeah, getting the plot to really move in both of them. And then one day it just clicked for me that they were two threads of the same story, which is women's fight for agency over their bodies. And once I figured that out, um, I don't mean to sound cliche, but the book sort of wrote itself, like it just poured out of me. Mm. Um, So that was, uh, that's great as a writer that I didn't struggle too much because writer's block is a very real thing. And a lot of people really, you know, have to slay the dragon in terms of uh in terms of the first draft but mine actually came remarkably easily um because I was just so inspired to write it I think and that really really helped my creative process Mm. and why do you think that story was not told before (sighs) or not told in the form of a book at least Yeah, generally speaking, you know, in in the history books anyway, uh, a lot of the experiences of women are glossed over or not mentioned at all. So when it comes to the maternity homes, that's a big part of it. And also that there was so much stigma and shame surrounding the maternity homes at the time. And it was something that one just didn't talk about. And with regard to, you know, reproductive choice and abortion access, that again, you know, there's lots of 
completely valid, understandable reasons for why women, you know, want to maintain their privacy. It's not necessarily secrecy, but privacy of their experience. Mm -hmm. And, but there is still that, that stigma surrounding it, that it's something we don't talk about, even though plenty of women have experienced abortion. And, you know, I don't know that anyone had necessarily ever thought that it sort of could be novelized in that way. Um, So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but once I realized that they were sort of the same story that really um that really allowed me to kind of yeah run with it and uh and it came together very naturally from that point Mm. and did you find it difficult to convince you know a publisher even your your agent like what kind of conversations were you having Mm -hmm. around getting this story finally uh shared with the world uh and you know did it I think we've seen a lot change over the past few years and even in the past few months with conversations around these topics, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it looks, it seems that we had to wait until 2022 to be able to see this story brought to light. Basically. I actually, uh, I've had so much support the whole way. Uh, my agent who picked it out, had several agents interested immediately. And, uh, the one who is now my agent, who's just fabulous. She was so enthusiastic right from the get go and sort of said that, mm-hmm. that this is a story that needs to be told and we want to be the ones to help mm-hmm. to help bring this to the market. And uh, then my publishers in the UK and Canada, same thing, were just on board so quickly mm-hmm. and with such enthusiasm and passion for it. And I think for a book with, you know, very heavy content like this, I, I needed an agent mm-hmm. and editors that were going to be that passionate about it. Um, and they helped me sort of hone it into everything that it was meant to be. So I, um, you know, I could get into this a bit more in terms of the the content and we might touch on that later, but I felt um, quite a responsibility with this novel to make sure that I got it right. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot, I did a lot of research, uh, talked to a lot of women about their very diverse experiences with motherhood, childbirth, abortion, um, IVF, and, mm-hmm. So again, a lot of it sort of wrote itself because they were very real stories. I didn't have to make up very much uh, out of the ether. And, but because of that, I felt um, that we really needed to do it justice. And I hope we have. Mm. I was going to ask about that research. So you, you've answered my, my question. Was there anything that surprised you in the context of having these discussions, hearing these women's, you know, firsthand accounts, is there something you didn't expect maybe when you first dove into this topic? Mm. Not particularly anything that I didn't expect. Um, I think a lot of it was, you know, as in some cases horrific, in some cases just deeply emotional, in mm-hmm. some cases um, n- not all that complicated. Um, there are some women who have had abortions and said, I knew at the time that was the right thing for me to do. And I've never regretted it. And I've, you know, made peace with it quite comfortably. Others who struggled a lot more with that decision and who struggle with it daily. So none of that came as much of a shock to me. I think the, the shock was actually in the research about the maternity home system Mm -hmm. and, uh, and what those women, again, girls primarily, uh, went through, that was uh, some of the hardest research I've ever had to do is reading those, those firsthand accounts. And I think I mentioned this in the author's note. I don't know if you've had a chance to read the book yet, but uh, 
in the author's note, I said, you know, um, again, I made a very deliberate decision to try to represent this as accurately as possible. And when you're writing historical fiction, it is primarily fiction. It is also historical. Mm-hmm. So historical fiction authors particularly have a little bit of a tricky time trying to, you know, walk that tightrope and find that comfortable balance between telling the best story that's going to be compelling and entertaining for readers while also being true to the history of it. So I think this book is probably um, much closer to the truth end of that spectrum, or at least I, that's what I've tried to do because I also wanted it to be educational. Um, and that's what I'm getting from a lot of readers. A lot of the feedback of Canadian readers particularly is mm. I had no idea that any of this happened or I'd heard again, vague mentions of homes for unwed mothers or, you know, mm. that abortions were illegal, but never gave consideration to what that meant for an individual yeah. woman or what she might've had to go through to try to access a safe abortion or access an unsafe one. And, you know, deal with the consequences of that. So I think it's been very eye-opening and I hope that it will start a lot of important conversations on both those issues. Mm -hmm. And do you feel that it was, I mean, we talked about why, you know, this is relevant now in 2022 more than Mm -hmm. ever. And in your mind, is that also linked to uh, you know, this this fight that, well, the fact that women's rights seem to be under attack again, we've seen what's happening in the, in the U.S., we've seen what states like Texas, you know, have put into place in terms of taking away hard-earned rights and, and you know, Roe v. Wade, um, and we're not clear on how that is going to impact Canada, really. It feels that uh, our, our right to abortion is a little bit more safer north of the border, uh, but we know that what happens in the U.S. eventually, you know, has a has an impact here as well. Uh, so, is you know what what link do you draw between these stories that you've been uh, researching and what we're seeing in society today? That's a good question, and I mean, I guess I would say you know, I I would like to hope that this is a little bit more historical. <laughs> than it perhaps is. And it's been an unpleasant surprise to me, actually, to see how this has been made relevant again in recent months, even since we we got the book deal and decided that this is going to be published. Um, You know, the U.S. legalized abortion in 1973. We didn't until 1988 Mm -hmm. in a fulsome sense. So in those interim years, Canadian women were actually traveling to the States Mm -hmm. to access illegal abortion we may very well start to see the opposite occurring, um, which is, again, just completely horrifying on a number of levels. I, In terms of Canada, again, it's, um, it's tricky and it's a very, um, you know, as a feminist, it's a very personal issue for me just in terms of from a women's rights perspective. But I would say that it's... Um, unwise to get complacent Mm -hmm. that though this could never happen in Canada it's it's legal you know that that would never happen here I'm sure there's women living in plenty of states in the states who say oh that would never happen here and now they don't have access so I think from you know women have fought for their rights over the years uh, so hard women have Mm -hmm. fought and died for their rights and I think we owe it to them to help defend them (laughs) what they have earned for us fought for for us And I think it's, uh, yeah, unwise to become complacent in any Mm -hmm. way. So I hope that this book might serve as a bit of a timely reminder, perhaps, of what 
what could be at stake if if we're not careful and if we don't raise our voices. We uh, interestingly, we don't have a U.S. publisher yet, and mm. everyone's always quite shocked to hear that. Um, and there's a few reasons for that that I won't sort of get into, and it mm. may yet may yet come to pass. But uh, it's been picked up in a lot of other territories, but not yet the U.S., which is a bit interesting. But uh, perhaps we'll still get some readership there through online sales. Exactly. Yeah, the book is highly relevant for uh, U.S. readers at the moment. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance to give to women in business. What kind of conversations you've mentioned, you hope the book sparks conversations uh, you know, around women's rights, right to abortion and, and so on. Uh, what kind of conversations do you imagine uh, readers having? And I think this extends beyond women, obviously. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, even since the the first drafts, or not the first drafts, but the uh, advanced reader copies went out, I've heard from various people, various readers about, oh, you know, I, I didn't know much about this. And then I learned that my grandmother attended one of these homes for unwed mothers mm. and hadn't told anyone until the very last years of her life, or we only found out afterwards, or, you know, my parent found out that they're actually adopted. And that was a surprise to everyone. A lot of people doing the, um, you know, online uh, genealogy DNA mm-hmm. um, searches and finding some interesting things that they didn't expect. Yeah. So there's yeah. always sort of been, uh, again, some, you know, secrecy in and among families and people who, you know, didn't feel that they could even talk about these things. Like these poor girls, it, um, you know, from what I read anyway, it's uh, a lot of them never had any therapy until later in their lives. This isn't even like loss of a child to forced adoption wouldn't have even been considered trauma at the time. It, mm-hmm. You know, trauma was hardly even a term when it came to emotional yeah, trauma, exactly. psychological trauma, especially for women. Um, that's mm-hmm. exactly that's all relatively recent. So they had no they had no counseling about this and and had to carry that with them and process it in whatever way they could. And it was diverse ways that they did process it, and some mm-hmm. never did. So. You know, if there is anyone that still needs to talk about that and needs to tell her story, I hope that this creates a bit of space and maybe a little bit of comfort to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with people who have experienced abortion or pregnancy loss or any of the other sort of facets of, of reproductive rights and motherhood that are touched on in the book. Yeah, I hope, you know, in book clubs, perhaps it will it will spur some you know, conversations that might be a bit deeper and more emotional than those groups would, would have otherwise. But, um, you know, if it, yeah, again, as I say, if it can kind of create a comfortable space for people to, to talk about their experience, then that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. One other thing I'd like to mention, and uh, I've been pretty clear that I actually do have a bit of an agenda with this book. And in the author's note, I talk about the maternity home system in the post-war era in Canada 
And in 2018, a Senate committee actually studied this and they heard from women who attended them as young women and girls and from their children who were adopted to other families. And the committee put forth several recommendations to the government. And one of them was to issue a formal apology and acknowledge their role in separating these women from their children Mm -hmm. and the children from their mothers. And that was in 2018. The committee gave the government one year to act on its recommendations. And we're now coming up on four years later, and the government has taken no action. So Mm. I am really, really hoping that readers will uh, feel inspired to become a bit of a squeaky wheel and get in touch with their elected representatives and help try to put some pressure on to to get that formal apology, because I really Mm. feel it's... uh, absolutely the bare minimum that uh, we as a Canadian society can do to acknowledge the government's role in these women's trauma and to help get them some measure of the justice that they deserve. So mm. I hope readers will uh, will get a bit engaged after after reading the book and I hope that we can try to put some pressure on. Mm, absolutely. And we can, we'll include a, a link in our, in our digital and, and social mentions of the book and, and highlight that because that Thank is you. a very important issue you're putting light on. Thank you. Thank you. Are there women authors who have particularly influenced you? I'm, I'm sure there, there have been, but in, in the context of this book, especially um, are there any, you know, role models or, or authors who inspired you specifically that come to mind? For this one, it's interesting because I um, I tend to like to read and write books that have a bit of a political element. I've mm-hmm. still got that uh, that little itch, you know, even though I don't work in politics anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've always actually enjoyed Jodi Picot's books very much. They, uh, you know, she just has a incomparable way of finding all the gray areas on an issue and making the reader quite uncomfortable and considering all those gray areas and what would they do in that situation. And uh, I think she's pretty uniquely talented at that. So she's always been kind of a a literary idol for me. And um, another, like, I mean, in terms of inspiration, you know, there isn't, um, the feedback I'm getting from readers too, is that it was so refreshing to read something that was set in Toronto and about Canadian Mm -hmm. stories and Canadian women and that there isn't a whole lot of that for consumption. And uh, one of the people that does that so beautifully is Genevieve Graham. I don't know if you've read any of her work, but uh, she sort of inspired me that, you know, things don't always have to be set in the States to be uh, widely consumed and to be popular and, and noteworthy. And so that's sort of, you know, I, at one point considered setting the story elsewhere and mm-hmm. felt very strongly that I wanted to keep it in Canada and tell a Canadian story. And I'm so glad that I did that. Mm. And thank you for doing that. And that actually connects with uh, the next question I had for you, uh, which is, are there other stories, you know, of women about women that you wish were told? And this could be through books, this could be through TV or film, um, mm-hmm. you know, you've mentioned that this is this, this specific storyline for your book, you know, hadn't been, uh, really shared in, in any, any form of content until mm-hmm. now. So are there other stories that you'd like to hear about, read about, or watch? Hmm. 
perhaps more about women in traditionally male dominated uh, fields generally. I think, mm-hmm. you know, their experiences again are just sort of not always talked about. And, and I like to see that. I think generally I, um, you know, this is a bit of a, a sort of sweeping history. And I think I, I didn't even realize sort of how ambitious it was when I set out to do it <laughs> until I was mm-hmm. finished mm-hmm. it and then went, Oh wow, that was maybe rather ambitious, but it's, um, you know, I've gotten into some pretty nitty gritty emotional detail, but I've also to some extent just barely scratched the surface. And I really like to see stories of women just sort of living their everyday lives because our everyday lives can have an incredible impact on, on who we are and the minutia can add up to, to pretty profound collective experiences. So I always like to see that it doesn't need to be anything yeah, big or particularly profound to, to have an impact on readers and to be relatable. But, you know, if anyone did sort of see an element in this book that they thought needed to be more deeply covered, then I would love to see that. There's always stories to tell. Absolutely. That, that is true. And how do you feel, because I think Looking for Jane is, you know, an important read for women, but also for men. And uh, I'm curious to know if that's a thought that crossed your mind. I asked you about the kind of conversations, you know, you hope readers have when, when they when they come across the book. But um, how do you think this can help bring men, you know, as allies into this conversation about women's rights and, and abortion rights? Right. I mean, it certainly can't hurt. Um, and, you know, when you're trying to learn about a topic that you might not be familiar with or comfortable with, fiction is a really good way to start that process to to get you thinking Mm -hmm. about the issue. And then can you sort of, you know, transition and and delve into more personal experiences of real people. But, um, you know, I didn't go into this book writing a book for women and women's fiction, you know, just seems to kind of relegate anything involving women into this sort of chiclet category that then gets... Mm -hmm. um, demeaned and undermined so you know I don't like to to think of it that way I don't like to think of any women's fiction in that sense I think it's Mm -hmm. it's fiction for everyone but um you know I've had some men even just you know my own my own circles uh who have read it and some male book reviewers who have read it and I think again it's very very eye-opening I don't know that it's necessarily any less relatable because they might have women in their lives who've experienced this and it can help them Mm -hmm. to understand that more and and have some catharsis. So I do hope that men will read it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I hope so too. Um, You've mentioned being a feminist and I always like asking women in these conversations for their definition of feminism. So what what is yours? Oh, really? It's, it's uh, just choice. That's, really what it boils down to for me. Um, you know, there's, there's all the waves and the waves have each had their own issues. And I think intersectionality is very important with feminism. It doesn't operate in a vacuum, but, um, you know, people will label things as anti-feminist or women's choices as anti-feminist. And to me, that just seems completely backwards because for me the fact that she is able to make the choice is feminism or at least that's Mm -hmm. that's my definition of feminism that's that's my feminism so I guess that's another 
part of, you know, why choice is such a theme in this book is that that's, that's what it is to me. Um, Mm -hmm. women wanting to be mothers or not wanting to be mothers. And there can be desperation of equal power on both sides of that. And then there's all the areas in between. I don't think many mothers would tell you that they absolutely love being a mother every single moment of every day. I think there's times where you Mm -hmm. think, Oh my gosh, why have I done this? (laughs) But you love your Mm -hmm. children and overall it's something that you, that you deeply want. But I don't think our, our choices and our decisions are ever so black and white and people like to, to create binaries. They like to categorize things. So I would just say, yes, for any woman, my definition of feminism would just be, does she have the full ability to make choices about her life? That's all. Mm. That's all we want. (laughs) Mm. And that's a great one. Um, And then my favorite question in closing to ask uh, everyone who comes on the show is what's one thing you wish women would do more of and what's one thing you wish women would do less of? Oh, that's a good question. Got several answers. I think generally speaking, I, I think women need to get a bit more comfortable with saying no, with uh, setting their own boundaries in all areas of their lives. And what women would do less of, like truly, truly, it's tearing each other down. We we can sometimes be our own worst enemies, and we've got enough of that coming at us from other angles. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing that from within. So. Uh, you know, women and those who identify as women, we should all just be supporting one another as best we can. Mm, I, I absolutely agree with, uh, with those two answers. And actually I lied one more question. What's, what's next for you? Are you already uh, kind of dreaming about your next book or maybe even working on your next book? Is there, was there an idea that that's come to you or, you know, or different project will also let you enjoy the, you know, coming out of your book and everything that comes from that. But uh, what's on the agenda for 2022 in your case? Yeah. So I'm actually just closing in on the first draft of my next book, which should be hitting shelves around this time next year, kind of late winter, early spring. And uh, I can't say too much about it just yet, but it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a novel. It takes place partly in Berlin during world war two and uh, England in the present day. And I didn't actually set out to write a World War II novel, but I came across a woman. I know this is how it happens for me, but uh, I came across a reference to a woman named Mona Parsons. And she was the only Canadian civilian woman to have been uh, sentenced to death and imprisoned by the Nazis during World War II. Wow. And again, my reaction was, how have I never heard of her? Why was she not in my history books? Yeah. So I started researching her. And uh, this novel isn't exactly about her life, but is heavily inspired by her life. And uh, my author's note will sort of cover that. And I'd like to try to shine a bit of well-deserved light onto the life of Mona Parsons. That sounds absolutely exciting. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to reading that book. Oh, and thank you. thank you for bringing to life another, you know, story about a specific Canadian woman in this case, but a story about women that deserves to be heard. Um, it sounds like your books will need to be added as, you know, required reading in high schools and, you know, in, in, in history curriculums because you're you're Aww. making up for what is missing from our history books, basically. Oh, well, thank you. I, re- I really appreciate that, actually. 
I mean that. Well, Heather, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. So uh, we'll, we'll include a link for anyone who's interested in reading Looking for Jane. And we look forward to the next one coming out. And congratulations again. And, and best of luck with your uh, this, this wonderful writing career that is just taking off for you. Thank you so much, Eva. My pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope. Yeah.